Hi, this is Sarah Lewis again, one of the podcast therapists, letting you know that today's episode is again, focusing back on our athletes and in part due to all the high stress circumstances that we've been hearing more and more about as our high school and collegiate athletes speak more freely, not to mention our professional athletes that we see taking time off here and there. The episode that we are dropping today to share with you, we did several months ago, again, in collaboration with one of our favorite people, Michael and Tum Rache, who is amazing and trains and coaches very high-level elite athletes. So we really hope you enjoy this. We think it's incredibly important. We work with a lot of athletes in our practices. What we know about high school and collegiate and also even some of the middle schoolers we see, they're destined to be elite athletes or training to be elite athletes, is that they can work through a tremendous amount of pain and tolerate a lot of discomfort oftentimes. And when they have that ability, it makes them great athletes, but can also make it really hard to know when to say, I need some help. So please listen to today's episode. We hope you enjoy it once again. Please share it and let us know any feedback you have. Thank you very much. Welcome to Podcast Therapist, presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah. I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success. Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories. Whose embarrassing story? (laughs) Yours. (laughs) Let's walk through this together. Welcome to Podcast Therapist, everybody. It is me, Amanda, and I am not with Caroline and Sarah today just because we are all traveling for August. But I am so happy to be here today with Michael Atunrache. He has been with us before to talk about mental health for athletes, and he is the owner of Resilience Fitness and Sports Performance Training. And with everything going on with Simone Biles, we knew we had to get Mike back on the pod to talk about his thoughts, what he's thinking about mental health. He is leading talking about mental health among all the trainers that I know. So we're just psyched to have you here, Mike. Awesome. I am so psyched to be here myself. And thank you for having me on again. You know, as soon as the first one was over, I was like, you know, I have to be back. I have to be back. So this was like, my way of like sneaking myself back into the (laughs) well i'm glad i literally after our last one i was like i could talk about this for hours you know all i ever want to do is talk about sports and so to do mental health and sports for me is everything the perfect mix it is okay so mike so you definitely have some thoughts actually bring us up to speed about where we are with simone biles kind of give us a timestamp for where we're talking about this so just a background on this woman, this, this incredible woman. She is literally the most decorated Olympic, uh, I shouldn't say decorated Olympic gymnast, but I should say most decorated professional gymnast ever. She has 27 medals overall, counting her world championships and her Olympic medals. Wow. Now, you have to distinguish the difference. Olympic medals, she only has around five, six now, six being that silver, just one with their team. 
four golds coming into this Olympic. To put into perspective, the leading woman in Olympic medals and Olympic gold has nine. And there's one more U.S. Olympic gymnast who has five golds. So Shannon Miller has one more gold than her. So this was going to be the Olympic Games that Simone came in and really like nailed the coffin on the argument of being the best gymnast in the world ever. And going into the trials, well, let me backtrack. You know that the Olympics were supposed to happen last year. Yes, of But course. because of COVID, the Olympics got postponed a year. And maybe a lot of people don't know this. Maybe some athletes who are more involved know this. But if you are that type of an athlete, one of those like seasonal athletes, you're training to peak at a certain time. All your training, uh, whether it's like your weight room training, your skills training, everything is geared to peak at this time, this specific time, this specific year. So to draw that out a whole year, that's tough. Well, especially for a gymnast, because they're so young anyway. And Simone Biles is 24. Is that right? Yes. Which is, it sounds young to a lot of people, but in the gymnastics world, it's not young anymore. No, it's not young body-wise, but it's also not young for how hard you have to work for how long, right? So that's why this one year is particularly hard for Simone because she had to be in it for an extra year. She had to extend that peak and be focused on nothing but gymnastics for a whole extra year. And that's tough. That's tough right there. So going into trials, Olympic trials, she still looked fire. She still looked elite. She's obviously super athletic in terms of like the power and that's like explosiveness she shows. Mm-hmm. But she didn't look as sharp. And people noticed that going into trials. She didn't land some of her stunts as well. She looked a little sloppy in some of her techniques. And then going into the first Olympic Games, it was a team event. She landed a vault kind of weirdly. And she went to her trainer. And the next thing we knew, they were calling her out. They were saying there was some kind of a a medical, they put medical there, some kind of a medical thing that's taking her out of competition. And then she stepped forward and said that it was a mental thing. So then some people think that's like totally different, being out for medical reasons and being out for mental reasons and not realizing it's the same thing. Of course it is. Of course it is. So the story comes out later on in the day that the pressure got to Simone and she was not feeling up to competing to not risk herself, her own health, and to not risk her team, uh, her team's performance. She decided to pull out and let one of her other teammates go in her stead. Mm-hmm. So she was going to step back and cheer on her teammates, which she did. And she did feverishly. So mm-hmm. there was a whole lashback that came with that decision that she made for herself. People were saying that she quit. People were calling her weak. People were comparing her to other, you know, great athletes saying, I've never seen Tom Brady back out of a fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. And I've never seen Michael Jordan back out of the game six. And there was just like a lot of like, there was a lot of just negativity being thrown. And at the same time, there was a lot of praise being thrown her way. Mm -hmm. People 
praising her for taking her mental health seriously, people praising her for having the wherewithal to say, I'm not at my best. I need to step back and let my team flourish and not be in and not like hurt my team by not giving my best effort. And uh, you saw a lot of celebrities, you saw a lot of other sports figures come out and tweet or show public support. And there seemed to be this just big chasm in American sports fandom between half the people, you know, bashing her for quitting, quote unquote, and half the people celebrating her saying that mental health is more important than the sport or gold medal. And I felt myself not on the fence about this, but I felt myself looking at this from a totally different perspective. And I think that's like the coach in me, you know, looking at it from the aspect of a mentor and a coach to a lot, a lot of young athletes. I never think anything in sports is final or fatal. Mm-hmm. Like even though sports are important, everyone's an individual. Everyone's a human first. Everyone's a person first. You have feelings. You have emotions, you have family, you know. So one of the things I do is I look at it from multiple perspectives and I take a step back and I always try to say, what can we learn from this? Because Wait, can I ask a question really quickly? Go ahead. So did she, because I know she said it's mental health reasons. And then I heard you say that it was the pressure. Has she come out publicly and said the pressure, like the weight of America is too much? Like what has she said about the mental health concerns? Right away, one of the things she did is she had an interview and she was quoted to say, she said, this is too, is heavy. This is really heavy. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I feel like I have like the weight of the world on my shoulders. And then later on, more was revealed that because of the pressure and the anxiety she was feeling in the moment that was leading to this physical I guess you could call it a symptom of the Mm -hmm. twisty. So you can have these mental things that lead to physical outcomes. Mm -hmm. People don't realize how connected our mind and our body is. So what twisties are for, for people who are gymnastics, that's when you lose your proprioception while you're in the air. Yep. You, you, you like naturally like these gymnasts are doing twists, they're doing movements in the air. And you need to have that wherewithal, proprioception, meaning knowing where your body is in space. When you lose that, you can't do these moves safely because you just don't know where you are in the air, how many twists you've done. And I've just been blessed to be uh, to have trained many gymnastics athletes on the men's side, on the women's side. I've trained many gymnasts. And one of my gymnasts who was like an All-American at Penn State, when I talked to her, she goes, when they showed the slow-mo of her doing that vault and I saw her in the air, I saw her eyes and she looked lost. Oh. And she said, I knew right away when I saw that. And then I talked to my other gymnast that I used to train. Her name's Lisa. And she is an ex-Olympic athlete herself, a former Olympic athlete. And she said, yeah, Michael, the twisties are no joke. And sometimes when you get them, it just throws you completely off. It doesn't matter if you're on the vault, if you're on the floor doing moves. When you have them, you just, it's not safe. It's not safe at all to compete. So I asked her, is that something that you get just from like being sick or like 
It's just no, it's like a nervous reaction thing. It's a nervous thing, but you know, usually you can work your way through it if you calm down. If you calm your nerves down and you're in a good mental space. So it's another way that you can show people how related the mind and the body is. How like your mind can be Yes. Your mind can be telling you that you're in trouble or that you're or you you could your anxiety rises, then it plays out in the physical realm. So one of the things that like I was saying about the the chasm is that on one side, I feel like people are not recognizing mental health at all. And on the other side, people are, are saying mental health is prime, the number one, first and foremost, most important thing. And I feel like anyone who had any kind of perspective that didn't fit on any side of that was like that conversation was lost. And that's why I want to like bring this conversation to the forefront of there's another way to look at this and there's another way to learn from this and grow from this. We need to look at Simone and, well, let me backtrack. Me as a coach, I feel like my primary responsibility to my athletes that I train now is to show them Simone and say, guys, this is the most skilled athlete ever in the sport of gymnastics. Mm -hmm. If she can go through this, you have every right to be suffering from the same things that she is. If the best skilled athlete in gymnastics can feel anxiety, can feel pressure, can feel, you know, like she has to step back from her sport, you can do that too. Mm -hmm. You are not some, you know, unique case. You're not a phenomenon. You're not weak. It's not like you're not good. If she can go through this, so can you. So that's like my number one responsibility, I feel, to my athletes who maybe sometimes feel like they're alone in whatever they're going through mm-hmm. or or their situation's unique to them. It's not unique to you. All of us go through this. I feel like if I show them that, that's another way that we can grow from you know where we are, wherever we are. I feel like my second responsibility to my athletes and to athletes all over is to recognize that you know mental health is important and to show them that what she did for herself was the best thing she could do at that point Mm -hmm. that being said mental health is not just something that we should work on when we're already in crisis and that's one of the biggest things that like it's one of the conversations that's not being brought up i feel in the mainstream she decided to take care of her mental health. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's true. But was she taking care of it a week before, a month before, a year before? Were there practices and interventions? Were there exercises implemented into her training program to deal with these things? And, and I don't know it's the particular answer. I don't know if there was or not. But when she landed and when she talked to her trainer, that wasn't a psychologist. That wasn't a mental health professional that was on the sideline with her. It was a trainer. Right. So that has me thinking, what if she did have a mental health coach? What if she has been working on this the whole time? Could there have been interventions being done with her on the sideline? Could there be 
you know, a sports psychologist there to talk to her, someone who has talked to her, someone who knows her history, someone who knows what makes her tick. So that's like my that's like my next topic. And that's one that I want to explore with you a little bit before I get to number three. Coming up with ways to fortify and to strengthen your mental health before it's too late or before competition. So let's talk about that because I have like a million thoughts that are running through my head because you and I both see a ton of athletes. So I'm not a sports psychologist, but I work with tons of athletes and I love sports. So I work it in to everything I'm doing anyway. Mm -hmm. And so... So I think you and I probably talk to athletes all the time about mental health. Yeah. And and yeah. so one thing I was thinking for Simone Biles, and this is specific to Simone Biles, but you know, she really is, she's a victim of Larry Nasser. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there's this piece that as a trauma victim, maybe she doesn't even realize it. And I'm not commenting on that, but what on her in particular, but what I do know about trauma is that it can really sneak up on you. Yeah. So I can imagine that if I were her coming to this big stage, representing something where all eyes are on me and it it could in the back of her mind be triggering that trauma. And she's like, I'm out, which I absolutely respect because I think that's got to be really complicated to represent your country and USA gymnastics when you were also a victim of USA gymnastics. Yes. So her trauma is a little bit separate, I think, than what we're talking about, because we are talking about trauma or no trauma. Mental health for athletes in the everyday is just as much a part of training as doing your warmups or doing yeah. your strength routine or getting your, you know, your cardio in. Yeah. So I really see the mind as a muscle. Yeah. And something that we have to strengthen before we go and perform on the big stage. Of course. My dad always has this this saying, and he goes, you don't get to the battlefield and start sharpening your sword there. You have to have these things ready before you get into battle. And when you look at the history of sports in this country, I remember watching like a 30 for 30 on strength and conditioning. And it's not like when you look at the history of sports, it wasn't a long time ago before strength and condition became a thing. And it started in like the big 10 schools, those college schools like Penn State and in Iowa. And it's like, oh, we're going to have a coach that is just designated for strengthening and conditioning the body. And you see how that like has elevated sports. To the point where that's like one of the most important positions in like a college football program. That makes sense. We all know who Mike Curtis is. Yeah. You need a really good influence in that strength and conditioning aspect of that athlete, of that team to perform better. Yep. I see that revolution happening in the mental health realm, like having a staff designated for mental health. In these sports realms, whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's our pro teams, just like we can elevate our game with strength and conditioning, we can elevate our game with strong minds, with mental health. And just like in strength and conditioning has different aspects of it, so does mental health. It's not like, oh, I am a little bit anxious and I work on my anxiety and now I'm totally healthy. It's like, no. 
that's like saying I've worked on my squats and I'm totally good. It's like, no, you got to work yep. the bench press. You got to work with your speed. And there's so many different aspects to it. It's so complicated. It's so individualized. And at the same time, there's general things that would help the population, the mass population. So just like we have like more broad strength conditioning programs, each individual athlete has like little tweaks and little things that are more specific to them that their coach will work on them with. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's important to have with our athletes as well. Um, one of the things I love to do is just identify and tag things, put names on things and let kids be and let my athletes be very conscious of how they feel and why they feel that. And that's one of the biggest things I do is I, I always ask, how do you feel? How do you feel? Like emotionally? How do you emotionally? Yeah. yeah. You know, they always, and it's funny because the first thing we'll say is they'll say something like tired. I'm like, all right, tired physically or tired emotionally? And then I'll, and I'll ask mm-hmm. them that too. Just everything tired. Why? And then you get into that. Nowadays, things are so happening so fast. Nowadays, you always have something to do. It used to be like when I was growing up, if you were sitting down with nothing to do, you were sitting down with nothing to do. You got into the habit of talking to yourself and, you know, imagining things, using your imagination. Mm -hmm. You don't have to use your imagination anymore when you're a kid. You got your iPad, you got your phone, you got, yeah. So you can fill dead time with like anything, right? Mm -hmm. Phone, social media. So the, the, just the skill of like, looking in and being introspective and being like, I feel this way. Why do I feel, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel so tense? Oh, is it that game that I have coming up? Or is it that match that I have coming up? Is that why I like, I'm feeling like this right now? All right. Now that you identify that and you figure out why you're feeling a certain way, that's like the first step, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Tagging it, labeling it. Yep. And just that practice alone, I'm not even talking about steps after that, just that practice of identifying, tagging, whatever you want to tag and understanding why you feel a certain way. is like so powerful. That's what I try to do with all my athletes, like on a consistent day basis. That makes so much sense to me because I frequently get athletes coming in, you know, here, here's one thing that's coming up for me a lot. I'm getting athletes coming in that aren't performing the way that they want to perform. And Mm -hmm. so they are going to all sorts of specialists, right? They're going to get checked for Lyme disease or like some cardiovascular, whatever heart problems. And they're going to all these places, trying all of these different strategies. And I'm like, Hey, y'all, what do you think of it could be anxiety? Yeah. Right? They could just be worried about the upcoming, you know, the upcoming race. Yeah. And as soon as you say that, I think people are like, no, that can't be, but then they're like, that is it. <laughs> yeah. If I'm willing to explore Lyme's disease, why aren't I willing to explore the idea that it could be I'm just really nervous about what's coming up for me? Yeah. And just the way that in the Simone example, just the way that kind of anxiety led to her twisties is the same way your anxiety can lead to maybe you not sticking a technique mm-hmm. as hard. You may be giving up a little earlier or getting yourself so hyped up that maybe you didn't sleep as well the night before. Mm-hmm. Like these little things in sports go a big way, right? 
you don't sleep as well. That can lead to you being a little more tired. Maybe you didn't drink enough water because you're so anxious, or maybe you even got to that point. Some athletes with their anxiety, they throw up. It literally makes them throw up. So if you're throwing up, you're losing water, you're losing water, you're a little dehydrated. So you go into that game not 100%. Sometimes it's just not sticking a technique as hard as you want. Like in sports, especially with us like explosive athletes, you have to like go 100% into something. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a swimmer into a turn or it's just like jumping off of the platform, getting that good start, or whether it's like a, a basketball player you know, jumping for that rebound. If he's like a little hesitant or he, he's second guessing, he's not going to do it as hard. So one of those things that I like to do, you know, in terms of like identifying is when you identify it, write it down, write it down. Like you have like a little calendar, you have a, write it down and tag it. That's what I call it, like tagging it. Tag it and make it, make it real and don't be afraid to make it real. Sometimes you don't want to label it because it's like, if I say it's anxiety, that means I have anxiety. That's a bad thing. It's like, no, like, no, no, no. Once we identify it, then we can deal with it. But also, anxiety is our motivation, right? Oh, anxiety yeah. is what motivates us. So if you can say, I'm anxious about my swim meet in a week, well, guess what? Once I say I'm anxious about it, I can use that to motivate me to drink more water. Yeah. to get to sleep earlier. Yes. If I can turn it from anxiety to motivation. Sometimes I think of anxiety as like a little too much, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be able to turn it off. But before it's too much, it's actually so helpful and healthy. Yeah. Yeah, cuz like exactly what you said, once you identify and you tag it, you can go to that health professional and say, "This is how I'm feeling." And I'm pretty sure it's leading me to like these behaviors or these outcomes. And it's like, all right, that's cool. Like when you're feeling like this, these are the interventions that we're going to do. When you're feeling like this, once you identify that, I want you to say, okay, this is my plan for today. By 930, I'm doing this, this, and this. And by 10, I'm in bed and I'm putting my phone away. Yes. Or in the morning when I wake up, I'm not going to just sit in bed. I'm going to wake up and go for a walk. And on that walk, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then, so you identify, you come up with that plan and that plan calms you down a little bit, or that plan just gets your body a little bit ready. Cause this is what happens too. As soon as you're anxious and then you get into that competition and the first little thing that goes wrong or the first yes. adversity that comes up, you get into that. Oh, I, I knew it. I knew that. And you start catastrophizing everything. Yes, that's right. And then that, that just leads to like more anxiety and more um, hindered play or, you know, play that's not your 100%. So I have athletes because I'll have athletes come to me and they're not performing. They want to perform. You know, let's talk about swimming because that's what I see a ton of, right? Yeah. So swimming, they're not performing how they want to perform in a swim meet. And so I think a lot of them have been told their whole lives, like visualize, 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 you know, visualize the perfect race. Because if you visualize it, you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. But then they come to me and they visualize their perfect race. And if warm ups doesn't go exactly the way they wanted warm ups to go, then they're out, just like you talked yeah. about catastrophizing. Yeah. So I've started having folks visualize races where something goes wrong and they're able to overcome it Yeah, because that is actually, that's actually what they need to do. Cause it's never going to go exactly right. You always will have adversity. 
I mean, especially when you're talking about putting on one of those tech suits for a bathing suit, y'all, you don't know that's going to take 10 minutes or 30 minutes. Yeah. And so, and so you got to be able to be flexible if it takes a little longer than you think. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that, that, that right there. And we talked about um, the last time we were on, we talked about adversity and how that can build you up like mentally, like that mental mm-hmm. fortitude. And, and I feel like that is, that has to be something that's built into some athletic programs. Um, I see some athletic programs that are very, uh, what's the word? Very moderate and very from the aspect of, you know, this is for injury prevention and this is for, you know, just to build your coordination. We're not going to push the athlete too hard to failure because we want to keep the athlete safe and, and while all that is good and every program should have that and should have that perspective to it, you have to push the athlete at some point in time too, to failure. Mm-hmm. You have to push the athlete to make them fail safely in a safe, controlled environment. But you have to push them to that point where they are failing or push them to that point where they feel like they want to stop or that you have to because you have control over the environment. It's something that is related to their sport a little bit, but not their sport. So they can feel comfortable losing right there because it's not going to affect their numbers or the. Yeah, that makes sense. And that that right there, that adversity right there is so good because they can take that mental fortitude of if I can get through that, I can get through anything. So like this is so ridiculous, but, you know, I do a fair amount of pelotoning. Yeah. And one of the things Tunde says to me is she's like, if this is the hardest thing you're doing today, you're going to have a great day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's essentially, but it's, you need someone talking to you saying, if you can get through this, like if you can deal with adversity in a strength and conditioning environment and say, how did you do that? What did it feel like? What did your brain do in those moments to get you there and to get Mm -hmm. you to the next level? If mm-hmm. you tag that, then they're going to be able to take that to football practice, yeah. to the crew race, whatever. Yeah. But they have to have a way to tag it to actually learn the skill. Otherwise, you're not, what's the word? You're not like encoding it in your brain. Yeah, yeah. It's gone in the wind. And you're exactly right. Like that same tagging thing applies to that right there. And you would write that down, literally write that down. And all of my programs now, on my online workouts, as soon as you're done the online workout, I have that message that goes, how did you feel? How hard was it? I get you to rate it and I get you to talk about it because I want you, it's not so I know, it's not so I know that, you know, you reflected. It's so you know, hey, I think this was, you know, compared to this, I think this, it's for your like introspection. It's like, I want you to like rate it in your head. I want you to realize what it felt like, and I want you to write it down. When you do that, you get into the habit of rating everything that happens to you. Mm-hmm. Not just a workout, but oh my, I didn't want to do that interview that I did earlier, but you know what? It was like, it wasn't that bad. It was like this, and, and this is how I felt during it. And, and you can take that to any aspect of your life. And that right there is an easy way to start implementing some mental health I don't even know what you call it, but mindset training. Yeah. That's a 
easy way to implement that into a strength and conditioning program without doing anything really hard. Just telling the athletes at the end of this, I want you to rate the workout on a difficulty level. And then I want you to write how it made you feel. So what kinds of services are actually available for athletes in this way? Like I know the, the sports psychologist at UVA is slammed. Of course. I, mean, I know he is slammed, but I think there's only one of him. You know? Yeah. So what are the options? What are people doing? There are no ready, readily available options. Right now, what you can do is they have apps right now. Like one of the apps that uh, LeBron James is partnered with is called Calm. Uh-huh. And it's one of those apps that it has like a bunch of uh, mindset trainings and introspection. Some of it's just visual, like it'll be some calming type of visual and then tell you to like sit quietly for a couple minutes at a time. And those things are great to slow people down and to just make people calm down. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of like active communication mindset training things out there right now. So that's why like, I'm literally in the process of building that. I already have some of it implemented into my athlete program, mm -hmm. like literally a 60-day motivational where it has a quote of the day and it tells athletes to apply that to their own lives and write down three sentences how, how it applies to their own lives. So something like that is so small, but once you get into the practice of like, seeing something like that and like thinking about thinking about a quote and how it applies to you it's it's very powerful in the long run today's quote is one choice you are one choice away from changing your life oh i love that yeah yeah so i wrote that and you know I, i'll ask my athletes you are one choice away from changing your life when have you made one decision that you can look back on that has made a big difference on you positively. Tell me about that. And they will write down like three lines about that, four lines. And, you know, just that practice every day of like a different quote every day that's uplifting, that's motivating, and that makes them also think and reflect. That's, that's just one way. But let me ask a question. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, I'm, I'm actually kind of, my mind is blown by the idea that they don't have mental health in these elite in you know for elite like swimmers gymnasts like all the elite professions they don't have mental health folks built in no that can't is that true they'll maybe have a sports psychologist like i went to a big d1 football school i went to we yeah. didn't have a sports psychologist first time i saw like physically like saw a sports psychologist was when i was playing in san diego and we had one and in Cleveland, we had one. He wasn't as active with the team. He was like a contracted guy. He didn't have like a, his own office within the, our facilities. And when I got to UVA and uh, I, I was about to work for the UVA strength staff, I, I remember going and seeing the sports psychologist's office. Mm -hmm. And it was just a small office. I think there was one, one of them. Yeah, there's one. Yeah. yeah. So once you think about like how many athletes are there over... 400, 500 UVA student athletes and you have one psychologist. So that, that brings you back to that whole high school type of setting where you have like, like that one psychologist for like a whole high school. Right. And you're not going to get the therapy that you need. 
Like yeah. if you really need therapy, like how many hours is that person going to do therapy a day with over 400 athletes? Well, and then there's also two issues, right? There's regular issues that people have specifically for athletes. I mean, academically, there's tons of issues that they're going to have family issues, their own yeah. relationship issues. And then you've got the performance issues on top of that. Yes. So those psychologists are seeing all of those people. All of those people. And and to go back to the Simone thing, <laughs> what's crazy is athletes nowadays experience an extreme type of pressure that athletes years ago did not have to face. And that's with the with the rise of social media. Like a guy like Michael Jordan, who, you know, is the considered the goat of basketball, he didn't have to deal with Twitter. You didn't have to deal with Instagram. You didn't have to deal with Facebook. People like literally having direct access to like jumping in your message box or or adding you and mentioning you and tweets and posts and people who you don't even know. Like you know, that's like it's it's really it's really tough. So we need professionals who know that who know that space who know how to like sit with an athlete and tell them, don't look at your mentions. Don't look at your inbox. Right. Turn that off. This is what I want you to do. But like who's in that space and who's doing that? It's tough. So that's one of my biggest things. You know, I, I talked about number one being the fact that I need to show my athletes like, hey, this is an athlete that's going through this. You can go through this too. Uh, number two, saying that how can we work on this all the time? Just like we have in-season training and off-season training, we should have an in-season program for mental health. Yes. That's more like we're we're a little busier in-season. We It has to be a little more like go, 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 go. I might not be able to be with you as much you know, in the in-season when we're busier, but this is what we've worked on in the off-season, and these are our interventions, and we have them ready. We have them programmed. Boom, boom, boom. So we have our off-season and our in-season uh, mental health training programs. And number three, my I feel like one of my responsibilities is to work on opening up access and advocating for these services being put in every space that we have our student-athletes, whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's pro team. So you know my wife. is uh, yeah. She just graduated UVA. She walks in on the 22nd here in Seville. That's one of our my goals is to like to get her and like to join forces. She's a psychologist, right? Yeah. She's a psychologist, yeah, yeah, yeah. just so you know. Yep. So that's one of our my, our goals because I come from that sports world. She's coming from the psychology world and to just merge. And she's and one of her biggest things just opening up, opening up access to mental health services, period. So I'm kind of riding her coattails and being like, don't forget the athletes. <laughs> let's, let's go a little bit wider and broader with this. And we talked about this. You've been to games where you see like an athlete maybe struggling physically a little bit, with maybe like an ankle or a quad or a shoulder, or maybe they're cramping. A cramp, good example of like, we didn't know that this was going to happen. There could be like preventative things you could do for it. But sometimes even with those preventative things, it's just game day. It's super hot that day. And all of a sudden, the athlete's cramping. You see their trainer on the sideline going through quick interventions. 
stretching. Yep. Icing, some cold towels. Yes. Here's an IV. This makes sense. Here's yes. this. Here's that. Why don't we have that for mental health service? Why isn't your coach there taking you into the black tent, you know, that, that's on the sideline, going through those interventions with you, going through breathing techniques with you, putting the headphones on you that are noise canceling, that has like something that it's like a mantra or yep. like music or something yep. soft to calm you down, going through like even touch. Touch is, is soothing. Going through like hand massaging things yep. as you sit down with like blinders and to just like help you focus in. Someone who knows you, someone who knows your history, who's practiced with you before. And and that the athlete trusts because the athlete has to trust yes. that person. Yep. This is something that when I look at back at that Simone thing, I didn't see anything of that in, in the future because this is the reality. Simone is the most skilled gymnast in the world. She did not win gold in those competitions. Why? Because she couldn't compete. She couldn't bring her best to that competition right there. Not saying that her backing out wasn't the right thing for her, but how can we get the most skilled athlete to be able to perform her best when her best is needed? How can we get that? I almost think, and maybe it's because I'm a psychologist, but I almost think that the mind is, is way more important than the body because we all know amazing things physical athletes who don't have the grit to stick through all the training or who don't yeah. show up on game day in the way they want to. And I don't know, have you read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? Have you no, read that? but you told me about that. I need to read it. You would love it. Well, it's funny because on one hand, you have you have the sports world who will tell you, they'll, they'll recite to you the adage, sports is 90% mental, right? They'll say that over and over again. But when Simone goes, all right, my mental is not right. I need to back down. Then they get mad at her. And it's like, wait, you just told me sports is 90% mental. So if 90% of me is not in this, I should still compete. It's like, it doesn't. So, and when you look at the whole thing, if sports is 90% mental and we're only doing strength and conditioning and practice and, and this and that for my physical where are we doing for my mental? Mm -hmm. Can you go to like a, a head football coach of a sports program and go, what kind of mental coaching and mindset coaching are you doing? Because sports is 90% mental. I wonder what he would say to you. Like, oh, like, uh, what do we do? You know? So yeah. it's, it's one of those things where you see it throughout sports. And I hope people... I'm I'm very like conscious of mental health now just because I'm a mental health advocate. This is, you know, my life, this is my wife's life. And you see it pop up here and there. But I don't think people pay close attention to it. When you see athletes like, for instance, I'm an Eagles fan. So you see an athlete like Carson Wentz go through like an MVP style season until like another season later, he can't complete a pass. Or you see a guy on the same team a guy named Brandon Brooks, he's considered one of the best offensive guards in the game. And there was one game he just didn't play. And we're wondering what happened. Did he get hurt in practice? Did he... Anxiety. Mm -hmm. He's just too anxious to go into that game because he was going to be one of the only three veterans left on the offensive line. And he was like, we're playing against a really good 
defensive line. And, huh. like, he just got so anxious he couldn't play. Oh, man, I'm giving all these Philadelphia examples. I'm a Philadelphia fan, like I just said. The 76ers, we have this guy named Ben Simmons. He's considered one of the best power forwards in the game. He's 6'7". He can dunk. He can jump out the gym. He's a great passer. And he refused to take a shot in the playoffs. I think he averaged something as small as like eight points. This is an all-star. Right. Would not take a shot and miss. I think he was like somewhere around like 26% free throw shooting, which is like, you know, guys are averaging like high 80s, like high 80s into the 90s. Yes. And it's like you you could watch practice film of him, of him hitting shots left and right. But in the game, it's like he can't hit a shot. And when he knows he can't hit a shot, he refuses to take shots. And it's like, you're an all-star, dude. Like you're like considered one of the best in the NBA and you're not taking any shots. They had a stat line. He only took like one shot in like the three fourth quarters of like the last finals that he was in. Mm-hmm. And it's just like amazing. Like you see things like that and you know, this is not a physical thing. This is a hundred percent a mental thing. And I think every fan knows that, you know, any fan of sports is like, oh, they're in a slump, right? Or, you know, whatever, they're not making their threes. And when you're on, you're on and you're not, you're not right. Everyone knows it watching that it's a mental thing. It's crazy that they don't have mental health folks helping that on the day to day. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that's why we're here. So, okay. <laughs> I know. That's why we're here. I'm like, oh, you know, I, I want to talk to athletes all the time and it sounds like you're doing it. So how can high school college level athletes get some of your programming? Well, do you have programming for mental health specifically? Yeah, I do have for mental health specifically. You know, my Instagram is coach underscore Mike underscore Atunrache. That's A-T-U-N-R-A-S-E. They can also follow Resilience Training and find me through that. It's on Instagram's Resilience Training underscore. It's one of the newer programs I have. It's literally a mindset coaching program. And it's a four-week program. Right now, it's a four-week program that that I do like literally with you. You get two check-ins per week. So it's about eight sessions a week. And oh, this is amazing. And you have practices, like literally like homework practices that are scheduled that I can see you do them. Like I can see when you start, I can see when you finish. There's a reflection afterwards. And I just created it about two months ago. And it's funny that this whole thing happened with Simone like a month ago. And I was telling like my athletes, remember when we talked about this or remember when we did this? And I think nowadays when you have, like I mentioned, social media and it's so easy to just be on your phone and you need some things that literally tell you to slow down and tell you to calm down. In this four-week program, we do this thing that's called a digital detox. And it's literally like I teach them how to, we're going to establish this time and it's different for every athlete, but we're going to establish this time where you're going to check in that I'm putting my phone away now. And I'll get that message that you're putting your phone and it's no phone, no laptop, no TV. And you just want to get in the habit of doing that to go to bed, do that before you go to bed, digital detox. 
and just calm down and just talk to yourself, be introspective, calm down. And just, just in doing that and the, uh, the other practices we have in there, being up on your nutrition and going to sleep on time, you feel so much better, feel so much freer. Yep. I tell people, like literally, I tell my athletes, I was like, you know how we go through a really good dynamic stretch and then afterwards you feel like, oh, wow, like I feel loose, like I can, I can move. I feel like I can squat better now. I feel like I, I feel like I could jump higher now. It's the same thing with your mental health. It's the same thing. Like when you get that stress off of you, when you get that anxiety away, or when you when you start working on maybe that, you know, that chronic depression, you feel looser. You feel like you don't have that like weight on. You feel like you can actually move and move well. So um my hope is that we start seeing change in that aspect of, you know, bringing access the access, you know, and the access is not going to come without the the awareness. Yeah. And the conversations. So we got to really just like scream, 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 bring awareness so people like wake up, realize. And then once more people wake up, and realize, then, you know, we'll see that access. Open up. So, yeah, just just bring that awareness. Well, I think, too. I'm like so much better for you to tell high school and college students to eat well, to get off their phones, all of that stuff than a parent. I'm yeah. hearing this. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I want to sign up for Mike's, you know, text to my kids. Yeah, it's funny. That's how it is with kids, though. With young athletes, yeah. your parent can tell you something and then Coach Mike can tell you the exact same thing. It's like, oh, I'll yep. do it because Coach Mike. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> But I got to say, and I tell everyone this, like, y'all, it doesn't matter what you're doing at practice if you're not sleeping. So if Coach Mike is putting stuff in place to protect sleep, because your body's not going to remember it if you're not sleeping, like, that's what you got to be doing. A hundred percent. Okay, Mike, we got to go. This is a joy. Michael Atenrache, Resilience Fitness and Sports Performance Training. Thank you so much. And we, I can't wait to learn more about your programming. I'm sure we'll talk in like a month. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye, y'all.